is my fellow from Love Sovereign Thinkers. Thank you for tuning to the LO3 Podcast. My name is Craig Transmitting from the beautiful realm of the planet Earth. Today's date is Wednesday, March 9th, 2022. This is episode 1511, entitled Why You Shouldn't Trust a Government and Our Unions Making a Comeback. Before I proceed, you can listen to me on Spreaker, Our Heart Radio, Spotify, Google Podcasts, CastBox, Deezer, Podcast Addict, Podchaser, JL Sovereign, Anchor, Breaker, Podbean, Reason, Radio Public, and Stitcher. Hit that like button and share it everywhere. Plus, I'm on multiple social media sites. Just type in Lucky Luck number three or three eyes, which represents Roman number three. In addition, you can find me on Telegram. Just look up Lucky Luck Roman number three podcast. If you want to donate, go to paypal.me or cash.app forward slash Lucky Luck number three. Ooh, man, it's so much of a roller coaster ride. I don't know where to start on ranting and all that good stuff, but, um, you know, everything's being exposed as usual. Folks out there are just stripped naked. What else is new, right? Well, everyone believes nothing could happen, there's nothing you can do, or they can't. Well, if you say you can't, it means you won't. Never be stagnant on what you want to, want to do to take action. Don't be afraid. They love to use that fear factor on um, individuals like myself as well. So I'm not, you're not. No one's exclusive, okay? No one had immunity by any means, including them. I always said this before, without us, they are nothing, and that is a confounded truth. They all got this power. They all claim they're a bunch of high almighties, and they're not. It's just how it is, my friends. Always got to look at the bigger picture. We all have our problems, demons, issues, and all that, but we have to overcome them one way or the other, and everyone's emotions are different. So if you got folks that don't want to help themselves, give them that leverage of love. And this is really important to do because if not, you can be next. So without further ado, I want to read a couple articles here. This one came out March 7th, by the way. And this one is entitled, Why You Shouldn't Trust a Government, Any Government. And this was done by... BlueStateConservative.com, and remember the guy's name is uh, Hobb, David Hobb, David Robb, excuse me. Uh, this is what Mr. Robb has to say. All governments are based on the strongest gang principle. Think about it. In order to exercise power, a government must be stronger than any who would oppose it. If it's not, is it open to revolution? A second point is that governments are, at best, symbiotic, and at worst, parasitic on a population. Some governments are relatively banging and exercise only modest power. These governments provoke little opposition as people under them usually have better and more productive things to do with their time. Matt Ridley points out that innovation flourishes under freedom, a sure indication that people have more fun things to do than to fight against oppression. Tyrannical governments usually engender powerful opposition. The tighter they try to clamp down, the more restricted they become, the more appealing and even necessary to make resistance. We have seen that worldwide today in response to the lockdown and other restrictions imposed by formerly free and democratic governments. How governments start. Why don't they really know how? Why, excuse me, we don't really know how first government started or why, although we can make some educated guesses. 
picture primitive tribes operating the same territory. Sooner or later, they will come into conflict over hunting or for aging activities. One group might learn that organizing under a single leader would make them more effective in attacking and chasing off their groups. Another tribe might select some of their members to be on guard or respond to attacks. The defenders could even be given food and other items to compensate them for the time they lost from hunting and gathering. Some of the defenders might learn that they could apply the same skills they developed defending the tribe and demanding things from their fellow tribesmen. In either case, before too long, you have a division developing where there is one group that not only has the power to defend the tribe, but also has the power to demand what they want from the other tribes. Since they are the strongest gang within society, within the society, no one can oppose them effectively. Some gangs will learn to limit their demands as too much control becomes kind of productive. Others learn the advantages of division of labor and the benefits of repressing uncooperative elements. As time went on, the tribes became larger and larger. People began to sort out what worked and what didn't when it came to the use of power in a society. As societies become more became more complex, there was a great division of labor and specialization. A growing need for coordination of activities was present in addition to the original need for defense. They also grew a need for a consent of set of rules for people to follow as well as a system to adjudicate disputes. Along the way, people start to realize a few points about government and what distinguish good ones from bad. The good ones tend to be effective at certain basic tasks such as defense while placing minimal demands on the behavior of citizens. Others severely constrain their populace and hem them about with arbitrary rules. Some provided honest and fair laws and systems of justice, while others were arbitrary, whimsical, and inconsistent. In the course of history, many different systems of government have been tried. Some have even tried to do away with government entirely, relying on cooperation between members. These latter ones rely heavily on trust, which limits them in their size, and generally, they have failed quickly. Alexander of Macedon assembled a large, powerful gang and proceeded to conquer most of the world at the time. Since his government was based solely on raw exercise of power, it fell apart as soon as his death was known. Another ancient about, of about the same period, Plato took an opposite tack and proposed a system of government he thought to deal and left it to others to implement. The ancient city of Athens was an early experiment in democracy where power was allotted to those chosen by votes of citizens. Its history has informed ideas of good governance for thousands of years. A contemporary city and rival to Athens was Sparta. Sparta was organized as a militaristic society, essentially organized along the strongest gang principle. Although Sparta defeated Athens in the Peloponnesian War, it had little influence on Western theories of good governance. Sparta was ultimately defeated by Rome, which was at the time the strongest gang in the region. History of Rome is fascinating itself as its various forms of government changed with different, when different groups or gangs acquired or lost power. One of Rome's most significant contributions to the theory of governance was the delegation of power to pro pro provincial 
governors. In other words, a local gang could call on the power of a bigger gang if the locals got too uppity. Having by now offended a great number of historians, I will proceed to look at all what all these systems of governments had in common, a common element that led to the failure of each and every one of them, a worm in an apple. The one factor all these governments have in common, and which is common in modern governments, as well as is desire for ever-increasing power. No matter how much power government might have, it will never be satisfied and will always seek more. Let me repeat, a government, unless it's curbed in some way, will always seek to increase its power. The two most popular ways to curb and increase the power is through rebellion from within. Hold on there. Okay, cool. Just trying to do a little adjustment here. Awesome. All right. So um, the two most popular ways to curb the increase is through the rebellion from within or by conquest from without. I doubt there's any example of a government that relinquished any of its power voluntarily. In a large, in large part, this is due to something I might call Newton's law of political action, for where every amount of political force a government might exert an equal and op opposite resistance will arise to oppose it. When a government relinquishes power, the opposing force has an opportunity to take over, resulting in rebellion. Indeed, government giving up some of its power may be due to a strong resistance just short of the revolution. The growth and decline of the, of the British Empire illustrate this process. Starting in the late 16th century, what with early trade in the colonies, more power, especially in the form of naval power, was indeed was needed to protect trade from pirates with our local gangs and other depredations. The increases in power led to the acquisition of more territories, which led to turn to the need for the increased power. Until the entire edifice spanned the globe at the height of its power, it was said that the sun never set on the British Empire. When asked why that was so, one wag responded, because God wouldn't trust it in the dark. Reflection of this history led by John Emmerich Edward Dahlberg Action, first Baron Action, was from, from born in 19, 1834 to 1902, to offer his famous quote, Power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Great men are almost always bad men. It was from this empire that the United States rebelled. There were several factors at work that made our rebellion different from most other revolutions in history. Unlike previous rebellions that simply sought freedom from the rule of an oppressive government, the American Revolution not only sought freedom, but also had a philosophical underpinning that sought to create a new system of governance where the people would form their own government. They would create their own strongest gang and create systems that would pro uh, provide automatic curbs on the growth of power. An exceptional America. For well over 100 years, there had been an extensive discussion throughout the Western world about the nature, purpose, and philosophy of government. It was recognized that governments had served certain important and even essential functions. Defense was paramount. Providing a system of laws and a system to administrate the laws was also essential. It was further recognized that it was the duty of a government to protect and maximize the rights and freedoms of its citizens. As part of the discussion of government, 
there was an extended discussion on the concept of rights. The idea of rights was distinguished from that of, of, a, of a permission. A right was recognized as something inherited in the simple existence of a citizen, and it was something that a government was obligated to recognize and respect. By contrast, a permission was something granted by an authority, such as a government, and could be revoked at will. We call that privileges, right? Absolutely. In other words, a right did not require permission to exercise, while permission was subject to authority sponsorship. One of the innovations of the founders was to recognize that our most basic rights were inherited in our human existence. This recognition grew out of the Christian heritage of the founders and was explicitly stated in the Declaration of Independence that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, recognize that rights were from God, removed from them, from the province of the human origin and control. It's interesting there because even many of them had different beliefs. They didn't, like they use creator not on a particular deity, but rather from the universal cosmos. So that's that's according to the book I've read, The 5,000-Year Leap, which is good. You should get, folks should check it out. A lot of good stuff in there. So I will continue on. Our, founder, our founders were well educated in the classical histories of Greece and Rome of the Renaissance and the Refor Reformation. They were keen followers of the debate on government and even participated in those debates. They live in the full flower of the Age of Enlightenment. Many of them are vivid readers of Locke, Hume, Voltaire, Rousseau, and Adam Smith, and many other authors of the Enlightenment. Thomas Jefferson and James Madison were deeply influenced by these Enlightenment ideas and incorporate many of them in our own Constitution. A simple review of the catalog of the contents of Thomas Jefferson's library is enlightening, but he was far from alone in his studies. There's a link for that, so check it out. As a group, our founding fathers were unique in world history for the depth of their knowledge regarding the history and philosophy of government. It is doubtful that any similar group with such knowledge could be assembled today. From that knowledge and understanding, our founders realized two things. A certain amount of government was necessary to perform basic essential functions, and that measures were necessary to keep that government from growing out of control. Thus, they had to confront the paradox of creating a government that was a strong enough to overcome any normal resistance while being sufficiently weak that it could be overcome should it overstep its bounds. On the horn of the horns of the dilemma, thinking of government for a moment in a biological term, one can consider the case of two organisms having mutual dependence. In symbiosis, neither organism can live alone. Both require something from, from the other in order to survive. Examples of Symbiosis abound, ranging from the simple case of lynchings to higher organisms like cows that depend on gut bacteria to digest the grass they eat while the bacteria depend on the cow to harvest the grass. A good government exists in symbiotic relationship within the citizens, both providing benefit to the other world, to other without harmful side effects. In some cases, through a parasitic relationship developed where one organism lives and grows at the expense of the other. A tapeworm is a classic example where the worm grows in the gut, intercepts the food organism, consumes and grows to the point where the host suffers. The relationship may have started in some banging form, but has progressed to the point where only one organism 
benefits from the relationship. Governments can exist in a parasitic relationship to, to the populace. We call these governments tyrannies, dictatorships, autocracies, socialism, and other names. But all share the common feature that the government has grown so powerful that it operates at the expense of its people. As with biological parasites, a parasitic government may begin as a banging entity, but through unchecked acquisition of power grows to oppressive size. The solution of the paradox that our founders implemented was in the checks and balances set forth in our Constitution, especially in the first two of our Bill of Rights. A constitutional solution to combat the unchecked growth of government power, the founders deliberated, made process of government slow and difficult. They required two houses of Congress to agree on new laws and empower an executive to veto but not enact laws. They further added a judiciary that could strike down unjust laws as well as rendered interpretations of laws that would restrict their scope. These constraints and restrictions on government have rankled the proponents of power for over two centuries. The first two amendments of the Bill of Rights actually restrict the growth of government power. Freedom of speech, of assembly, and of the press were recognized as essential rights for people to maintain watch over the government. These rights were necessary for people to observe the actions of their government, to discuss the pros and cons of various actions, to gather in protest against improper actions, and to disseminate information widely among the population affected by government actions, further recognizing that governments could grow to oppressive levels, even in spite of the numerous checks incorporated in the Constitution. The ultimate check on the government was provided in the second of the, of the amendments where the populace could themselves form a strongest gang to counter an overbearing government. In his comments of the new Constitution, Thomas Jefferson wrote this famous justification for the ultimate power of the people. Here's what he says here. And what country can preserve its liberties if their rulers are not warned from time to time that their people preserve the spirit of resistance. Let them take arms. The, uh, the remedy is to set them right as to facts, pardon and pacify them. What signify a few lives lost in a century or two? The tree of liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of patriots and tyrants. It is a natural manure. The continuing lust for power, our constitution didn't eliminate the accumulation of government power. It just made it more difficult. Ever since our founding, people have been working to evade the constitutional limits to power. There has been a slow erosion of the Constitution throughout our history. The progressive left has been telling us for decades that the Constitution is obsolete, outmoded, and outmoded, and should be ignored and replaced. Placed. Of late, they have been acting as though it was an established fact that the Constitution is no longer valid. The Constitution continues under attack. On many fronts, the right to free speech has been abridged by laws relating to hate speech, which limits that can be said without giving clearer guidance as to what actually constitutes such speech. As a result, nearly everything that someone finds offensive can be categorized as hate and thus restricted. We even now have restrictions on mis and misdisinformation that some wish to restrict where those labels are applied to any speech that disagrees with the official position of the government. The disagreement that the First Amendment was designed to protect. The attacks of the Second Amendment are legion. Many numbers of spe um, specious claims 
about the meaning and the purpose of the amendment ha have been made by those who see it as a barrier to their growth of power. They have been and continue to be claims that it only happens on an, to, an, to an official military, that it was designed for a time when people hunted for food, that it only allows a limited set of arms and many others, many other attacks. Sometimes to assert that such rights are meaningless in the face of a modern military with tanks, jet aircraft, and drones. They have little knowledge of history of asymmetric warfare, nor understanding of the consequences of the fact that our military is drawn from the general population, returns, that, returns to that population, and depends on the support of that population to function. The function of crisis for every for years, the various crisis situations that normally arise that have been used to justify increases in power or the corresponding abridgment of individual liberties. Although originally spoken by Winston Churchill, the expression has taken new meaning with the quote from Rahm Emanuel. You never let a serious crisis go to waste. And what I mean by that is an opportunity not to is an opportunity to do things that you think you could not do before. Time and time again, one crisis after another has been used to implement more government power. Throughout the history, response to crisis justified further erosion of rights and liberties. The Civil War established a primacy, primacy of the federal government over the constitutional rights of states. The Great Depression was used by FDR to institute numerous financial controls to regulate labor and to restrict private commerce. One of the greatest tools for increase of government power. The establishment of administrative offices largely independent of legislative control was initiated by Woodrow Wilson, who, taking advantage of the economic depressions of the period around 1900 to 1915, that the period that gave us the music of ragtime, instituted the Internal Revenue System, the Federal Reserve, and other expansions of government power. Wilson, a progressive and a staunch Democrat, was also strongly racist and worked to segregate the federal government. The most recently, the COVID crisis has been used extensively to abridge constitutional limits and to greatly increase government power, not only in the U.S., but throughout the world. Of note has been the numerous attacks on fundamental rights, supposedly in violate granted in various government charters. Explanatory is the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, which is supposed to guarantee, among other things, the right to peaceful assembly. We have seen just how much Canadian government cherishes and protects that right and their response to the recent freedom convoy that I sought to protest a mandate for vaccination by a deadly substance. I'm from the government, I'm here to help. Trust me. We have today a large number of progressives, largely ignorant of history, and especially the history of growth of tyrannies. These people see government as the banging force able to do right wrongs, fix problems, and enact changes to make the world a better place. They dismiss any concerns that a strong and restricted government would ever become tyrannical. They see no contradiction in using the coercive power, coercive, oh, hey, coercive power of government to force uh, compliance with programs and projects. They as they see as improvements on things as they are. These people are, after all, acting for good and in the best interest of the people and the world. But a good intentions excuse any and all minor inconveniences that might arise as consequences of those actions. Anyone opposing these good 
the wonderful changes must be canceled and eliminated in the name of the common good. They forget or have never learned that most of the worst acts of governments have arisen from good intentions. The way out, we must stay, we must constantly struggle against com complacency. It has been said repeatedly by many sources, perhaps most famously Wendell Phillips in 1852, is what he says here. It says here, eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. Power is ever stealing from the many few. The matter of popular liberty must be gathered each day or it is rotten. The living sap of, of today outgrows the dead rind, rind, rind of yesterday. They, the hand entrusted with power becomes either from human depravity or a spirit, the corpse, the necessary enemy of the people. Only by continued oversight can a Democrat in office be prevented from hardening into a despot. Only by unintermittent agitation can a people be sufficiently awake to the principle not to let liberty be smothered in material prosperity, unquote. We must recognize and support efforts to trim back the encroachments of power. An example is the recent 11-point plan to rescue America proposed by Senator Rick Scott. And I gotta say that he's a flip-flopping fool anyway. It doesn't mean he did everything he, he um, did. I don't disagree with, so I'll be I'll be fair with him. But a lot of stuff he did stuff did things I am not impressed. But we'll continue on. That's as government too. If implemented, it will go far to restore many of the rights and liberties recently abridged in the name of public health, among other excuses. The restoration of our constitution and our republic is not an easy process. We have lost much through a slow erosion process. Few today, with their limited perspective of history realize just how extensive the losses have become diligent effort will be required we will need to do a much better job than we have so far in explaining to current and future generations why so many of the freedoms we take for granted are essential and worthy of defense we must not give up hope the progress down the road to tyranny is not certain and a new path to liberty can still be made we owe it to ourselves and to the future generations to make the effort Previous generations have paid the price for our freedom many times over, but it is not a price to be paid once and forever. Each generation must pay their price or forfeit that has all been won. Trust is something that must be earned and can be lost at any time. Governments must earn the trust of their citizens every day of their existence. Breach of that trust is serious and must be rectified immediately. Every citizen has an obligation to hold the government accountable and to take what actions might be necessary to counter and correct any breach. Do we still have what it takes? That was David Robb who wrote this. And you know what? Yeah. Never give up hope, my friends. Always keep these people on their toes and never trust them, period. Whether it's federal, state, or local. If you don't learn from the past, we're then repeat it. Like I said before, government and Latin means control of the mind. What's happening right now, which they've been doing for a great period of time, government in general are the, is the terrorist. They're the terrorist organizations. Doesn't matter where you're at, all you gotta do is see what's going on right now. Very obvious. And this is why we do have things called in these United States. We have nullification, anti-commandeering doctrine, Tenth Amendment. Keep the balance in check. 
And this is why when people ask me about how great Abraham Lincoln was, I recommend them do your homework on this man. He wasn't all that great. But I know for sure when he um, decided to use greenbacks or interest-free money to fight for the Union War, in my view, that's one of the re main reasons why he got shot. And John Wilkes Booth was a great patsy. So that's how I see it. And we always got to keep them on their toes. Now with technology, we have, we have found multiple ways of counting their measures. So do a little homework, my friends, and share with others. All right. I'm going to do one more here. Our union's making a comeback. And this is from uh, freshcareerfinder.com. It's a blog. And as it reads here, unions couldn't could be making a comeback. It is important to know what that means for you. From 1983 onward, union membership has been declining. It was at 20.1% in 1983, but dropped to 10.3% in 2021. Other statistics also back up this decline. In the early 1950s, there were about 400 major work stoppages due to union strikes. However, in 2021, there were only 16 work stoppages. This doesn't mean that unions are dead. In fact, some people believe that unions are on their way back. Current, the current state of unions. Currently, young workers are becoming interested in unions, according to one Gallup poll. Support for unions is at its highest. It's been about 65, about 65 years. The poll revealed that 68% of Americans approve of unions or some type of organized labor. In 20, 2009, support of unions was at its lowest point. Only about 48% of Americans supported an organized workforce in 2009. Others' research show that 67% of Generation Z and millennials support unions. So it's said that this drastic increase in union support as a, is a result of current, the current generation. You can use Barista as an example. Young Baristas led efforts to unionize Starbucks, and the effort was met with support from other individuals of the same age. In early 2022, the support of Barista, um, Barista unions was clear. A strike against unsafe work conditions was successful, and following that strike, there were several other successes. After the initial Starbucks strike, approximately 100 Starbucks locations developed unions. As newer generations perform unions, unionizing growing its popular in popularity. The tech industry is also undergoing efforts for unionization. The Alphabet Workers Union was formed in 2021 and is composed of Google employees and contractors. As of the recent times, the unions has over 800, the union has over 800 members. When it's formed, the union had a goal of creating a more transparent workplace and protecting employees from wrongful termination. Essential workers and unions. While the young generation sparked unionization efforts, the true catalyst was the pandemic. Frontline workers faced great dangers as well as some difficult decisions because of the higher risk of working during the pandemic, there were many healthcare workers who left their positions, with almost one in every five healthcare workers quitting. The healthcare industry changed. About 12% of individuals in healthcare experienced layoffs. As a result, the new staffing shortages in healthcare, there was a significant amount of pressure on the remaining employees. They needed to work long hours in difficult conditions. Unfortunately, this took a toll on healthcare workers and led to a strike among nurses. For 10 months, the nurses at St. Vincent Hospital went on strike. The Massachusetts hospitals dealt with staffing issues at a time when they needed all hands on deck. Due to the timing and circumstances, this strike had a serious impact across the country. It was the longest stoppage of work in history of the state. Employees at Amazon also operated in challenging conditions 
as essential workers, Amazon employees had no choice but to show up to work during the height of the pandemic. In Alabama, Amazon warehouse workers voted to unionize. That attempt failed, but there were still efforts to unionize. Another vote will occur in 2022. In New York, employees at Staten Island Warehouse are taking steps to improve conditions. They want longer breaks, better health care, and, var- and varied leave options. Additionally, the Amazon workers are fighting for higher wages. What the future holds. Many people wonder whether the push for unions will continue. After the vaccine became available, conditions in many workplaces improved, but that doesn't mean that there is no longer a push to unionize. After the pandemic, employees started to see the value of unionizing. They experienced unfair treatment and harsh working conditions and realized that unions could protect them. Going forward, employees may be more open to the idea of unionizing even if COVID-19 longer, longer, no longer poses a threat, there will always be challenges facing employees. It's only natural for them to seek a way to have a mo- more job security and to minimize unfair treatment. According to experts, unions may be here to stay. Over the past months, white-collar workers have been taking steps towards unionizing. At Indiana University, grad students organizing sit-in. Tech employees at Activision Blizzard and Apple also commenced unionization efforts. Although it's impossibly sure of the cause of these efforts, many suspect that current labor markets plays a role. There are more jobs than there are workers, and employees feel more comfortable taking risk. As um, employees realize their value and their power, they're taking more risk. It is also possible that there's a culture shift. As as much as you try as you can try to explain trends in unionizing, it all comes down to cultural changes. Today, cultures embrace unions, embraces unions, excuse me. What remains unknown is how long this cultural change will last. What it means for you. Why does this trend towards unionizing affect you? For one, it shows that the labor market changed. Right now, the market favors employees. Businesses are desperate for workers, and this is good news for job seekers. If you're happy in your current position, you don't need to endure your job. You can either look into unionizing or consider finding a new job. Depending on your industry and position, you may be able to give yourself a better life. It is not often that employees have security. For that reason, you should take advantage of the current labor market and the unionization trend. Why settle for a job with poor conditions? Instead, you may be able to join a union or find a different job with better pay, hours, and conditions. Taken by action, now you can get much more from your job. If you're not ready to take a risk, you can test the waters, start searching for jobs in your field, and send out a few applications. In the end, you can get a job offer that you can't refuse. And that is true. Big demand for that. And you got even certain positions out there. You don't want to do the vaccine, but it's going to backfire anytime soon. I know that for a fact because I've been a victim of medical apartheid myself. And one thing I always tell people about unions. You got to know everything about the organization that you're trying to get yourself represented. And you can look at the um, LM2 reports and even the local bylaws, international bylaws. Like a lot of, you got that in the Department of Labor. That's under Chapter 2 of the Landrum-Griffin Act, okay, or the Labor Management Reporting and Disclosure Act of 1959, 1959. And in addition, if you do become a member of the union, you are the boss. The constitutional officers are representing you. So you always have those due diligence, make sure your demands are fair, verify everything, and always go look at the employer side too. 
sometimes you gotta look at their budgets and because uh, look if you just take their money rape their money you got no work so everyone goes under so you have to have that balance factor there's always going to be differences and battles and even like amazon for an example they they did a settlement this is you know public public information on working conditions and so forth and they remember there was even claims that they were firing people for organizing so they took it to the national labor relations board and they did they made a settlement on that so and so uh, that's considered section 8a of the national labor relations act which is entitled um employers unfair labor practices you can look all this up it's very interesting stuff interesting material to read so if you do i say do it you're being correct and work with your teammates that's how i see it all right well that will be it i thank everyone for listening but feel free to download and share this right your social media networks if you have any questions comments or interesting to check out whatever you do please hit the correspondence form for the probably the footnotes of these articles on my page if you want to contact me go to looky luck number zero three at postmail.com or if you want to donate you can go to paypal.me or cash.app forward slash loki luck number three all right my friends once again thank you for your time but always remember that the maniac resistance is healthy for the soul and can liberate humanity till next time take care of yourselves keep on spreading the love and may your guardian spirits be with you